This morning, as we continue our study in the Old Testament, we'll be working through the entire book of First Kings, and we focus upon David's passing the mantle of kingship onto his son David. The emphasis of the passage is that Solomon's kingship has been fully and securely established. There are no adversaries, if you will, to the kingdom that are going to be able to prevail. The key word in 1 Kings chapter uh, 2 is the word established, established. It appears four times. If you look at verse 12, it says, So Solomon sat on the throne of David his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. Verse 24, Now therefore, as the Lord lives, who has established me and placed me on the throne of David my father, Verse 45, but King Solomon shall be blessed and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. And verse 46, so the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. So you can see that the establishment of the kingdom is central to this second chapter of 1 Kings. This morning we want to focus upon what is necessary for the kingdom to continue to be secured and flourish. How has this been once established going to continue on and uh, prosper? What will it require? I'm going to look at various sections of this uh, second chapter in the weeks to come. We are going to look at just the first section this morning. And the first section teaches us that the kingdom will be made secure by faithfully following the word of God. The kingdom will be made secure by faithfully following the word of God. Uh, I'm going to be focusing on verses 1 to 4, and then we'll reference the last three verses of that section, 10 to 12. The intervening verses I'm not going to deal with this morning, but when we get to those pertinent passages where we see Solomon's interaction with those individuals, I will go back and pick them up at that point in our study of 1 Kings. So the theme this morning is the first section teaches us that the kingdom will be made secure by faithfully following the word of God. As the passage opens, David's final words are given to Solomon in the form of a charge. We are in the time of David's rapidly approaching death, verse 1, when David's time to die drew near, drew near. David is very, very close to death at this point. David, his father and king, gives a charge to Solomon as the kingship is being passed on. So it tells us in verse 1 that when David's time to draw near, uh, he commanded Solomon his son, saying, the word that's translated as command here is to give someone a charge, to impose upon that person a sense of duty, responsibility, and obligation. The kingdom was both a privilege and it was a duty. And so Solomon was to perform his duties faithfully as a king in order that the kingdom would prosper and meet with good success. So in this charge, David begins by confronting Solomon with life's realities. David is about to die, as has already been noted. 
And his time had come, as it were, in verse 1. It says, when David's time to die. It's interesting that it refers to David's time. For the time of our death is appointed by God. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. Psalm 139, verse 16 says, Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book they were all written. The days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. So even before we are born, the time period of our life has been ordained by God. There is a time that God has established for each one of us as to when we are to die. And this was David's time. This was God's purpose. This was God's activity. Death was not unique to David. Verse 2, he says, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. The way of all the earth. Everyone dies. Everyone dies. Since the fall of mankind, death is a part of life. In the book of Ecclesiastes, we read, For everything there is a season, and a time for every purpose under the heaven, a time to be born, and a time to die. A time to die. Generally speaking, the Bible gives a person approximately 70 years to live. Psalm 90, verse 10 reads, The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80, yet their span is full of toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Ironically, David is exactly 70 years old when he dies. 2 Samuel 5, 4 says David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years. So, David is about to die just as all mankind dies. A wise person keeps in mind that they will not live forever. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. It's good to think about where we are in life and the reality of our approaching death. It says, number your days. It may be helpful to think about death in the form of an analogy. Let's think about our life in terms of a baseball game. If you are 70 years old, you're in the ninth inning. David was in the ninth inning with two outs. All right, he was very, very close to death. If you're over 70, you're in extra innings. And that comes to an end quickly. If you're under 70, you're in the earlier innings. But that's no guarantee that you're going to make it to the ninth inning. Games are shortened by rainouts and all kinds of things. It really is important for us to think about where we are in life. What inning are you in? What choices need to be made in order to live wisely? David is telling Solomon, what is going to happen to me is going to happen to you. 
And so you have to think about your legacy. You have to think about your future. You have to think about your sons, your children. You have to think about passing on this kingdom. He begins with that admonition. So back to David and Solomon. David's kingdom is coming to an end. Verse 10 tells us that then David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And the time that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. Solomon is just beginning, verse 12. So Solomon sat on the throne of David, his father, and the kingdom was firmly established. It was placed in his trust. He was responsible for it. So David exhorts Solomon to face up to his duties as king and be faithful. Face up to those responsibility as king and be faithful, verse 2. He says, I'm about to go the way of all earth. And then he says this, be strong and show yourself a man. I begin with this thought of be strong. There are 40 different Hebrew words that are translated in English as the word for strong or strength. This is a word that means to have a firm grip, to be able to hold on to something tightly and not let go, to have a, a grip that nothing can pry your hand loose from that which you hold dear, and you are just going to hold on to it tenaciously, ferociously. You will not let go. David says you need to have the strength, Solomon, not to let go of God's commandments and God's word. You are to hold on to it tenaciously. And the second thing he says, be strong and show yourself a man. Show yourself a man. Solomon is to prove that he's a man, that he's up to the task. Solomon was to man up, as it were. We have a similar thought in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13, where we read, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, be strong. And those thoughts often go together. Be a man. Be strong. But what does that mean to be a strong man? All too often when people think of being a strong man, they think of a person who is, who is macho. A person who exuberates self-confidence and strength. Metaxas wrote a book entitled Seven Men and the Secret to Their Greatness. You have that in the library, right? And I would recommend that to you. Uh, good book. And uh, he spends a, a good bit of the introduction of the book to talk about manhood and what it is and what it isn't. And I would just recommend it to you, but I will say this much. He says, and I quote, the false view of manhood is the idea of being macho, of being a big shot, and using strength to be domineering and to bully those who are weaker. Such a person is not a real man. Rather, that is someone who has not grown up emotionally, who might be a man on the outside, but who on the inside is simply an insecure and selfish boy. So we're not talking about bullies. We're not talking about people who domineer. We're talking about people who have courage and strength to stand up and do what is right. To be a man of strength and courage in order to follow the Lord. Strength is often associated in the scriptures with courage. It takes strength 
and courage to live one's life for the Lord, to steadfastly follow God's word and not depart from it. In Joshua chapter 1, I'm not going to read it, but there's a charge that God gives to Joshua, and as he thinks about going into battle and the obstacles he's going to face, God says to David, to Joshua, be strong, be courageous. But then he exhorts Joshua to follow and keep the commands of God, and he says to Joshua, be very strong, very courageous. It takes strength and courage to go into battle. It takes even more strength and courage to follow God. Or Joshua, who has to have the, the courage to tell the people that we're simply going to march around the walls of Jericho and they're going to fall down flat. It takes courage and strength to follow the Lord. And that's the first admonition that Solomon gives to David. David's charge to Solomon is consistent with God's charge. For notice in verse 3, it reads, And keep the charge of the Lord your God. So David's charge is, keep the Lord's charge. What he is saying is consistent with what God says. So how does he keep the charge of God? First, he is to live and conduct himself in accordance with the word of God. Verse 3, keep the charge of the Lord your God walking in his ways, walking in his ways. Walking in his ways speaks of consistently following the Lord in our daily decisions and conduct. It's living one's life in keeping with what the word of God tells us to do. Secondly, he is to highly regard, treasure, and protect all that God's word says. For it says in verse 3, and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses. To keep means to hold precious, to view in high regard, and thus to follow. The statutes, the commands, rules, and testimonies are nuanced differences that speak of the whole counsel of God. Everything that the word of God says is to be kept before us and treasured, and we're to value. But there was a, a specific charge that God had given to kings in the law of Moses. He says, keep the charge of the Lord your God as it is written in the law of Moses. I think there he's talking about a specific charge and that is given to us in Deuteronomy chapter 17. I'm going to read it. You may want to turn there, but I think it's important. Deuteronomy chapter 17. I'm going to start reading at verse 14. Deuteronomy 17, 14. This is God's charge to a king. Deuteronomy 17, 14. When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are round about me. You may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself 
or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And it shall be with him, and, oh, excuse me, and when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it in all the days of his life. They may learn to fear the Lord as God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. And his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom and his children in Israel. So there are conditions that are given and a promise at the end that he may continue long in the kingdom, he and his children in Israel. As we go back to 2 Kings, and you might want to keep your finger here, or put your bolt in there or what have you, the benefits of keeping God's charge. Uh, David delineates to Solomon what are the benefits that are going to be accrued by keeping God's charge. The first benefit of keeping God's charge is that you'll be successful in all aspects of your kingship, verse 3. And keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking the ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses. And then here is this statement that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. The word prosper means to benefit. To keep the word of God will be beneficial, Solomon. It will never be a waste of time or energy. It will never be in vain. It is beneficial for every aspect of life in all that you do and wherever you turn. And so there's a general truth for each and every one of us. That our faithfulness to the word of God is a benefit in all aspects of life. When you think about your job, when you think about rearing your children, when you think about your personal life, whatever it is that you do, wherever you turn, whatever involvement you may have, whatever aspiration you may seek after, always remember that faithfulness to the word of God is always beneficial. It will always help in whatever endeavor you are engaged in. The second benefit is that God will accomplish for you what God has promised. This has to deal with the kingdom itself. If you look at verse 4, it reads that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me. God had made a promise to David. There's a promise about the kingship and the kingdom. And if you look at the promise, it reads as follows in verse 4. If your sons may pay close attention to their way to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. There's a promise for David, for Solomon, and for their successors. 
It's important to realize in the scripture that there are two forms of promises. There are unconditional and conditional promises. Unconditional promises are promises that God makes to us that has nothing to do with our keeping any requirements. They are promises that God makes to us unilaterally. We have no responsibilities. We have no duties in these, these promises. God makes certain promises based solely upon his purpose and will, and those promises are going to come to pass no matter what. God is sovereign, and he will do what he says he will do. Those are unconditional promises. But there are also conditional promises in the word of God. That is that God is going to do something for us if we are faithful and follow his instructions. And it's important to realize that what we have before us is a conditional promise. For if you look at verse 4, it reads, that The Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, and here's the condition, if, 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 there is a qualification. There's a responsibility. If, and here's the condition. If your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart, with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. So David is charging Solomon with faithfulness. If your sons pay close attention to the way they walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart, with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of David. I want us to pause and now get a bigger picture of the book of First Kings and ask the question up front, how did Solomon do? How did Solomon do? He's given this charge. What does Dave, Solomon do in reference to that charge? Well, I want to work through the charge condition by condition. The first element of the charge had to do with horses, if you remember. Back in Deuteronomy 17 and 18, only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. So, how does Solomon do in faithfulness to that charge not to acquire horses from the land of Egypt? 1 Kings chapter 26, you don't need to turn there, I'll read it. And Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king of Jerusalem. Verse 28, and Solomon's import of horses from, was from Egypt. Solomon did precisely what God said, don't do. The second element of the charge was that the king was not to acquire for himself an excess silver and gold. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 17, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. God had made Solomon incredibly rich, and that was God's blessing upon Solomon. 
But the key thought here is that he should not make it excessive for himself, for his own use. But he is to see that the way in which God prospers is not just for himself, but for the kingdom and for the glory of God. So don't acquire for yourself excessive silver and gold. How does Solomon do with that? Well, 1 Kings chapter 10, 21 reads, And all King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. None were of silver. Silver was considered as nothing in the days of Solomon. Solomon had outfitted his house, his utensils, everything with gold. He had amassed for himself great riches. The third statement of the charge was that the king was not to have a lot of wives or it would turn king's heart away from following the Lord. Deuteronomy 17, 17. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself lest his heart turn away. How does Solomon do with that? 1 Kings chapter 11. Now King Solomon loved many foreign wives, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them. Neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn your heart away after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. The very thing that God said would happen, happened. Don't multiply wives. They will turn your heart away. Well, I would submit to you 700 princesses and, and 300 concubines as multiplying wives. And it turned Solomon's heart away. Now we're going to see that Solomon starts off really well and God has blessed Solomon, gives him wisdom and so much. But yet, because he doesn't adhere to, because he doesn't listen to the warnings of God, because he does not follow God's charge, it has its consequences. And what are those consequences? What was the result of Solomon having many wives and foreign ones at that? Well, again, 1 Kings 11.4 says, For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart from other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, an abomination of the Ammonites. He started worshiping other gods. Deuteronomy chapter 17 warns what would be the outcome to the next generations. Deuteronomy chapter 17, I'm not going to read it all, but at the end of that charge, it reads, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. The condition was, if you are faithful, God will allow you to continue long into the kingdom and it will be passed on to your, your children in the next generations. So what was the outcome of Solomon's failure in meeting the demands of the charge? 
given to us in 1 Kings chapter 11, and we'll be looking at this in detail as we go, but I, I just want to get the big picture. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 9 says, The Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice, and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Since this has been your practice, and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. In the very next generation, in the son of Solomon, the kingdom becomes divided. And Solomon's family reigns over just a portion of the kingdom from then on. It's the grace of God that they're allowed to reign over any of it. But they're reigning over a portion, and it's an extremely small portion of the kingdom. Most of it was lost. Most of it was gone. Solomon we're going to see in the weeks to come, starts out extremely, extremely well. But unfortunately, he doesn't hold fast. Unfortunately, he does not have that strength that he was exhorted to, to remain faithful to the Lord. In 1 Kings chapter 2, 10 to 12, we have a summation of this first section, and it says, Then David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And the time that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. So Solomon sat on the throne of David, his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. It was placed into Solomon's hands. There was no question that Solomon was king. And he was given an incredible foundation. This wonderful charge that his father had given to him that was outlining the way for success and the way for the advancement and the security of his kingdom. Hold on to those, those promises. Hold on to that, that charge. He failed to do so. As we think about applying this, this passage I want us to work through a, a few things in our own hearts and minds. The first is, have you made a firm commitment in your own mind to live your life for Christ, following his word and being faithful to him no matter what the obstacles, no matter what the cost, to man up, if you will, for his sake and just do it. There is a classic passage in the book of Joshua where Joshua challenges the nation of Israel as Joshua prepares to pass off the scene. And he says this, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. 
And if it be evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. It's important that if we are not choosing to serve the Lord, we're choosing to serve someone, something else. And Joshua says, think about that choice. What is the better choice? To serve God or to serve someone or something else? Where's that going to end up? Joshua asks. And then he goes on to say, but as for me, and my house, we will serve the Lord. He makes that decision. Regardless of what anybody else does, he's, he challenges the nation and says, choose you this day who you're going to serve. And then regardless of what anyone else does, he says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so I ask you, what are you banking on, counting on, or relying upon for your life's success and prosperity what do you do with God's charge that everyone has? Now, we aren't kings, but yet every one of us has a duty, a responsibility, and a privilege to serve the Lord. And there are blessings associated with that service, blessings for ourselves and our children. So the first question is, will we say yes to that initial charge? Will there be a, a rich foundation to our lives? Will, will there be something for us to build upon? This commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Second, if you have made such a commitment, how are you doing? Where are you? Do you have the same zeal, the same determination, the same desire? to serve the Lord that you did when you first made that commitment? For some of us, it's years ago when we first made that commitment to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And the real sadness of life is that there are so many that wane in that commitment over the years. They grow cold, they fail to realize how much God has done for them. Solomon is so richly blessed of God. And then to think by the end of his life, he's worshiping and serving some other gods, it's almost inconceivable. Which teaches us how much we have to guard our hearts, how much we have to examine ourselves, the way in which we need to hold on with a tenaciousness to God's word. Have other things crept in today so that you are no longer steadfastly following God's word the way you did? And if it's that is the case, then I would exhort you today to recommit your life and purpose to the Lord and ask God to help you and strengthen you and forgive you and use you to his honor and glory. The third lesson is to remember that life is short. We must number our days in order to apply our hearts to wisdom. That numbering of days 
has two major concepts. One is to keep in mind our own life. We don't live forever. And those of us who are older know that whole adage of how time flies. I look back at my own life. I've been in ministry over 40 years and pastoring over 40 years. And there are thoughts, ambitions, of things that I thought I would achieve or do that haven't been achieved or done. Time is running out. Time is running out. I'm in the eighth inning of my life. What am I going to do with the rest of it? What are you going to do with the rest of your life? If you're in the early innings, what do you aspire to? What do you want? Whom will you serve? The second element of numbering our days is to remember that we're leaving a legacy. Solomon was to think not only of himself, but he was to think about his son, and he was thinking about his son's sons, and he was thinking about the kingdom in general. So we need to ask ourselves, how am I living my life that's going to affect my children, my great-grandchildren, my great-great-grandchildren? What legacy am I going to leave? What impact, what example, positive or neg neg uh, negative, helpful or harmful? As we think of a people, as we think of our families, as we think of the family of God, as we think about our church. What church are we leaving to our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren? Will it be prospering? Or will it be falling apart? And to realize that the decisions we make, the way in which we live our lives, greatly impact that outcome. We are going to find that these are conditional promises. But the wonderful thing about conditional promises is the ability to seek God's help. And to realize how desperately we need God to hold us fast, for God to hold us up, for God to grant that strength that we need, that empowerment. And tonight, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3 that's talking about the very thing about how to obtain spiritual strength. It comes from God. And we're going to look at some hopefully very practical ways to be able to avail ourselves of the strength of God that he gives to us so that though the outward man is perishing, the inner man is being renewed day by day. Though we're going outwardly old, Inwardly, we're staying young. Inwardly, we're staying fervent. In inwardly, we're staying vibrant. Inwardly, we're staying healthy in our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that's one thing that we all want.
And so tonight we talk about how to achieve that. But this morning, where are you in your relationship to the Lord? I hope you're holding fast. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of, of Solomon. And Lord, for this charge that was given to Solomon, and we know that he starts off well, but we also know that he does not end well. And Lord, perhaps we are some of those that have started out well, but we're on a trajectory not to end well. That's the case, I pray that you would bring us up short and Lord, bring us to a place of repentance and bring us to a place where once again our trust and confidence is in you and not ourselves or, or something else. Lord, for those that are young and in our midst, I, I pray, Lord, that you would lay upon their heart this, this important aspect of making a decision of how they're going to conduct themselves, how they're going to live their lives, regardless of what everyone else does around them. But to make a decision that is for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Oh, Lord, I, I pray that every, every person here this morning has, has made that commitment. And you will bless them, and you will watch over them, and you will protect them. And you will assure them that whatever it is that they do, that to follow you and your word is a benefit. It is a help. It brings success in the true sense of that word in that we are able to accomplish the purpose and will of God. So Lord, work in us today to your glory and continue to give us that desire that as we age, we do not wane in our commitment to you. Lord, may it actually grow, may it actually increase, may it actually abound so that we are more fervent, more in love with you, more thankful as we reflect upon our lives and all that you've done, that we would give you the proper honor and glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.